0: This is Germ Warfare, the Battle of Ideas. My name is Germ. This is Germ Warfare, the Battle of Ideas. James Fetzer, thank you for joining me in the trenches again.
1: I could not be happier, Jeremy. I'm delighted to be here.
0: I remember, I think it was 2012. And there was a, a, a guy by the name of, what was his name? Uh, Alex, no, what was it? Adam. Adam Lanza. There we go. That was his name. He apparently shot about 20 kids and six teachers or something. I can't, I can't remember the details. I'm guessing that you're going to tell me what actually happened. But before we do that, would you mind just giving me the official story for those who don't know?
1: Absolutely, 100%. Yes, yes, yes. According to the official story... Adam Lonzo was about 20 years old, uh, six feet tall, a string bean only weighed about 112 pounds, allegedly shot his mother at home with a 22 caliber rifle, then went to Sandy Hook Elementary School and with an AR-15 and two handguns shot 20 kids and six adults, including the principal, the school psychologist, and multiple teachers and when the police arrived, shot himself. Now, this was cooked up by the Obama administration to be a PSYOP, to have a vast psychological impact on the American people, especially parents. It was a form of faux terrorism, meaning it was fake, but the effect was same as terrorist acts, which are designed to instill fear into a population, to make it more amenable to manipulation, to promote a political agenda. In this case, a key player was Eric Holder, the Attorney General, who during a National Democratic Women's Conference back in 1995, asserted that we have to brainwash the American people in order to change their attitude toward guns. Remember, United States was born out of citizen soldiers being able to fight off the British. They used unconventional warfare. The British would, you know, get all in a line, but the, the, the American Patriots were hiding behind trees. They were using their weapons. They were doing everything different than the British had expected. And although they had a minuscule sized army compared to the British force, they defeated them as a consequence of founding fathers when they designed the, the, the Constitution of the United States included after the First Amendment, which was to guarantee freedom of speech, freedom of the press and freedom of religion, freedom of assembly, which are indispensable to a functional viable democracy made. The Second Amendment, the right to keep and bear arms, which shall not be infringed, And while many other nations don't understand this uh, seeming fixation with weapons, the fact of the matter is, the Founding Fathers wanted there to be uh, a national army of citizen soldiers who could come to the defense of the nation, either if it were to be subject to an invasion, such as we might have thought the British might seek to undertake to regain their lost colonies, or, internal tyrannies, so that it could be overthrown by armed citizen soldiers. Now, the fact of the matter is, while some argue that the Founding Fathers didn't have in mind military-type weapons, the fact is the Founding Fathers had in mind exactly military-type weapons because they wanted this to be an army in waiting that could come to the defense of the nation. So the fact is that There have been many efforts to disarm the nation. There are many forces who'd like to take control of America. And what they fear most, and this even includes the Chinese, who I think are simply trying to encroach by buying up America over a long period of time, but there are other malevolent forces that seem to have vast influence with the with, in the past, the Obama administration, and now in the president with the Biden, where Obama appears to be manipulating the situation behind the scene, where they, they needed someone to be president who was cognitively incompetent, so he'd have no awareness of the meaning of the words he'd read off of a teleprompter or the documents he would sign, and could be totally subjected to manipulation behind the scene— Which includes an effort to take guns away from the American people, because this administration out to destroy the United States, and frankly, if you think of George Soros as the acting president of the United States, where George Soros has declared his his dying wish is to destroy America, then you get a sense of what's going on here and why. So many, when we have events like this, which are calculated to have an emotional impact to promote the gun control agenda, actually is working in the opposite direction because each time they they bring about one of these fake shootings, and let me explain. I bring together groups of experts to sort out what actually happened. In the case of Sandy Hook, I brought together 13 experts, including six PhDs And we established that the school had been closed by 2008. It was loaded with asbestos and other biohazards, damaged by a hurricane. There was even a a flood before and a flood after. Uh, In 2007, uh, there was a flood. Uh, It it, it was uninhabitable. There were no students or teachers there. It was a two-day FEMA exercise technically a mass casualty exercise involving children, for which we even discovered the FEMA exercise manual, which I included in the book I then edited and published entitled, Nobody Died at Sandy Hook, it was a FEMA drill to promote gun control. And because now Amazon and the other social media are being used by the government to constrain Our exercise of the First Amendment, Amazon, banned the book less than a month after it had gone on sale, even though it had sold nearly 500 copies. So went on sale on 22 October 2015, it was banned on 19 November. Now you'd think a bookseller in business to sell books would be ecstatic about a book that had sold nearly 500 copies. I knew immediately, this had been a political decision, decision, that Amazon at the time had 20 books about Sandy Hook, 19 of which supported one way or another, the official account, some of which in a completely fantastic fashion. For example, one by a teacher, Caitlin Roy, who claimed she saved 15 first graders by cramming them into a three-by-four bathroom that had a door that swung inward. If you think about 15 first graders, suppose they average 50 pounds. That's 750 pounds of squirming first grader. She herself say 100 pounds, 850 pounds in a three by four bathroom with a door that swings in. People believe this nonsense. But then everything about Sa- Sandy Hook turned out to be fantastic. It was among the first of what would be a whole series or string of these. I've investigated them as well. I published a whole series of books about them, which Amazon has also banned. Not only my book on Sandy Hook, but my book on the Boston bombing, my book on Orlando and Dallas, my book on Charlottesville, my book on Parkland, and even my book on the moon landing. If you can believe, six books banned by Amazon.com in. Jer- Jeremy, I have no doubt that's the indoor record. I mean Dr. Seuss has had six book banned, but they're on the frivolous ground that the diagrams of the the Asian girl with little slit eyes were politically <laughs> inappropriate according to the whip woke generation. My books yeah. were banned because they blow these cases apart. My background is in the history and the philosophy of science. I spent 35 years in higher education, wide range of universities and colleges. Kentucky, Virginia twice, Cincinnati, North Carolina, Chapel Hill, New College, University of South Florida. I, I wound up the not, last 19 years of my career on the Duluth campus of the University of Minnesota. Now, during this entire period, I was offering principally courses in logic, critical thinking, and scientific reasoning. And I would reach out in my courses in critical thinking and bring in cases like the assassination of JFK, like uh, 9-11, like the war in Iraq. And uh, you know I'd go through and explain the evidence, how we knew that the official story we were given was inconsistent with the evidence and the facts of the matter and talk about alternative hypotheses. So I was implementing the fourth stage of the scientific reasoning, which I've done again and again then in relation to conspiracy theories, because many people don't realize we have well-established criteria for the evaluation of scientific theories, an area in which I am an expert, and we can apply those same criteria to conspiracy theories. So, so what I do is to take conspiracy theories from theories in the weak sense, of rumors, speculations, or guesses, to theories in the strong sense of empirically testable explanatory hypotheses, such as Newton's theory of gravitation, Einstein's theory of relativity, Darwin's theory of evolution, which then makes them empirically testable, and by by sorting out the evidence, if we separate the fabricated from the bona fide, and that actually turns out to be the key in virtually every one of these cases. Because the government in putting them together is gonna to have a certain amount of evidence that appears to be confirmatory that is gonna make you think at first blush that maybe it was real. It's only when you dig beneath the, and sort out the uh, authentic from the fabricated evidence, they get a grip on it. It'll, in accordance with Sir Karl Popper's emphasis upon what he referred to as falsificationism where Popper maintained that the only way to tell whether or not a theory is true is by attempting to refute it. And if you attempt to refute it and you're unsuccessful, then that supports the conjecture that maybe it's true, or alternatively, you simply haven't figured out how to refute it yet. Well, with regard to JFK 9-11, Sandy Hook, Boston bombing, and so forth, we have figured out how to refute them. The typical pattern of scientific reasoning, and this ties in with Alex Jones, because he's good at preliminary stages but not at following through. Puzzlement: something doesn't fit in with your background knowledge. Well, if you want to take, uh, you know, take—I've already discussed JFK, where we know that right off the bat we were getting the reports of two shots, one to the throat and one to the right temple, that were fired from in front the very day of the assassination which obviously is inconsistent with a Warren Commission report that would eventually emerge, claiming that we're three and only three shots fired from above and behind. So what's going on, right? Well, similarly at Sandy Hook, we had reports already coming out today that there'd been a man running in camouflage behind the building. We had the the medical examiner saying they didn't let the parents uh, come into contact with the children, that there was a time for that. We had no string of uh, ambulances uh, to rush their little bodies off to hospitals where they could be determined to be dead or alive. We had no surge of EMTs into the building. All this was highly anomalous. They even put out triage tarps, but no bodies of dead or wounded were ever placed on the tarp. So that leads us to speculate what could really be going on. And of course, in JFK, as we well know from our previous conversations, it, it means that maybe the government is setting up Lee Oswald to be the patsy, you know, and that actually the, it had a very different character. And as I've already explained, we've been able to establish Lee was actually standing in the doorway of the book depository when the JFK motorcade came by. So he not only cannot have been the lone demented gunman, but cannot be in one of the multiple shooters where we've identified eight I mean, look how massively the truth is opposite of what we were told, and at Sandy Hook, uh, the full range would be this was something other than a bona fide school shooting, and of course, obviously, that it could have been a drill presented as mass murder to promote gun control, which is exactly what turned out to be the case, as I'm going to explain, and I'll give you a fair sampling of the evidence so you get a sense of it. Well, when you sort out the authentic from the real with JFK, sort out uh, altered X-rays from the real X-rays, sort out the altered film from the real film, we, we actually find, you can see the blowout at the back of the head in frame 374, 375 that's been blacked out in earlier frames, and you begin to get a sense of exactly what happened and the pieces tend to fall into place. And we discovered that we're actually multiple shooters and the whole thing was orchestrated by very powerful sponsors who wanted JFK out primarily for the policies of Lyndon Johnson, but where Lyndon himself was a key player wanting to ascend to the presidency. And where in the case of Sandy Hook, it's a part of the Obama gun control agenda. Indeed, one of, one of my contributors, Paul Preston, who himself has a radio show called Agenda 21, uh, when was uh, a school administrator, he'd supervised uh, you know, active shooter drills, and he was so disturbed by what he saw at Sandy Hook that he reached out to his contacts in the Obama Department of Education all of whom told him it had been a drill that no one, no children had been harmed and it was done to promote bu- gun control. Now you gain that from members of the Obama Department of Education telling him exactly what did happen. And it, and it turns out that as Sophia Smallstorm was the first to observe, this, this is what's known as a capstone event where the federal government, this is through the Department of Homeland Security using FEMA, the federal emergency management agency contracts with communities to conduct drills that they are going to present as real and they have the participants sign non-disclosure agreements in fact it's interesting in Sandy Hook the non-disclosure agreements were for 10 years and they're going to expire on the 31st of December of 2022 So it's gonna be interesting whether some of those who were involved in this, who remained silent over all these years, are gonna wanna come forward to regain their lives. Because after all, you see it's part and parcel going along with being a participant that you gotta live the lie. So I'm I'm knowledgeable of individuals who've been living the lie, who aren't happy about living the lie, who wanna regain control of their lives. And on the 31st of December, 2022, they're no longer gonna be bound by the contract they already entered and gonna have the chance to either sign up again to renew, and they'll get financial benefits if they do so, including, as I understand it, not paying any taxes. Or they're gonna to want to prefer freedom and truth. We'll see how it plays out. Meanwhile, I can tell you with a high degree of certitude exactly what did happen. And when you when you evaluate, for example, JFK, the alternative hypotheses that it was uh, you know, a, a collaboration that there were multiple shooters versus a single shooter from above and behind, we already can tell, uh, since there were those two shots to the throat and the right temple fired from in front, that the official narrative can't possibly be true given the evidence. When we get the authentic evidence separated from the fabricated, and with regard to Sandy Hook equally, When we look at the FEMA manual and compare it to events on the ground, we see that everything that was going on, that was even being reported by the press that day, is in conformity with a FEMA exercise and inconsistent with a real shooting. Just offer some illustrations, there were porta potties already in place. I I asked uh, police whether they'd ever heard of a crime scene where there were porta potties and they laughed because it's so ridiculous. There was bottled water and pizza available at the firehouse. There were many wearing name tags on lanyards. There was a portable sign that said everyone must check in. Well, right in the manual, it states everyone must check in with a controller upon arrival. So they can be paid, it's not right away, but they get a paycheck for participating in this. And some of them benefited far more than others. I mean, the grieving parents and all, it turns out that Sympathetic but gullible Americans donated between 27 and 130 million dollars in donations. And if you divide that by the 26 fake families pretending to have lost, uh, you know, family members or children, that works out to a million to five for having pretended to lose a kid. I think there are a lot of Americans who would sign up for that, Jeremy. Uh, a million bucks to pretend you lost a kid at a drill where you're gonna have a non-disclosure agreement and you don't pay taxes and blah, 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 you get all these benefits. That's pretty tempting. Now, what CFIA noted was that this is a community-wide event. So you're actually entering into a contract with the federal government and they give you a big bucks. Let me conjecture that the community of Newtown was given a hundred million dollars or more to conduct this drill and allow it to be presented as real. A hundred mil, and that's not to include the fact that when they tore down the school and and they had everyone who participated and tearing down the school sign lifetime gag orders so they couldn't talk about anything they saw or didn't see, which would have included no blood on the floor, no pockmarks marks in the wall because no actual shooting took place. They got. A fifty million dollar grant to build a new school. Frankly, they didn't need one. The, the the demographics are such. They'd already been consulted with experts who told them they had more schools than they actually needed. But because politically, having made this deal over this Sandy Hook Elementary, which doesn't even appear to have been a bona fide elementary school, by the way, let me toss that in for good measure. They were stuck with their own story. They got fifty mil. I checked it out at the time. The, the average cost across the United States to rebuild an element kindergarten through fourth grade. That's all this was a kindergarten through fourth grade school is seven million dollars. So I got seven times seven mil. I said at the time, what is this to be? The Taj Mahal of elementary schools. And it came out looking something like that. They have fantastic artwork, for example, sculptures and the like, the price of which can be set by your imagination. You know, I mean, this is a question of subjective opinion and aesthetics. The point is they got fifty mil in addition to everything else I'm talking about. The participants aren't paying their taxes. I mean, it's just ridiculous what's going on. Many of the families were fabricated. They're not even married to one another. They fake the kids, I'm gonna demonstrate how this was done using photographic images. So when we had uh, the the medical examiner, Wayne Carver, explain how they didn't allow the parents to come into contact with their children, but identified them on the basis of photographs, that was appropriate because the kids basically only existed in the form of photographs. Now, there was some real kids who were t- cost in on different names and all that sort of thing. Uh, Mona Alexis Presley has done work with me on this, has found reason to believe some of the parents even use photographs of themselves when they were children. So it, when you look at the evidence, put it together, I'm going to give you a good chunk mm. of it here today. You can figure, well, what's a probability if it were real that you'd have all these color-coded name tags? You'd have all these activities in accordance with a drill. You'd have no surge of EMTs into the building, no string of ambulances to rush our bodies, no Venovac helicopter call, triage times went up, but no bodies. What is the probability Gee. if it were real? It's approximately zero, Jeremy. If it were real, then the events we have documented are, are, are virtually impossible to have occurred if it was real. On the other hand, if it was fake, that it all falls into place. It was just that kind of in a sloppy way, because this was one of the very first of these events, Mm. where, and let me emphasize this, Jeremy, because the world needs to understand. Barack Obama legitimized the use of this kind of staged event, fake shooting and all that, by nullifying the Smith-Mutt Act of 1948, by the Smith Modernization Act of 2012, just in time for Sandy Hook, where the smith Mutt Act of 1948 precluded the Department of State and other intel agencies of the United States from, from presenting in the United States the same type of phony events they were conducting abroad, paid riots and all that. I mean, this is very much in the order of what the State Department and the CIA has done abroad for, you know, all of modern history. I mean, you can go back to 1953 when uh, Kermit Roosevelt, who is a cousin of Teddy, engineered overthrowing the Mossadegh administration in Iran to bring about a toppling of democracy in Iran and install the despotic Shah. But most Americans are so ignorant of this history, Jeremy, sad to say. They think that in 1979, when the Iranian people, you know, rose up to reclaim their own country and took the American embassy, that was Iran striking first at the United States. But the fact is the Iranian people had been enduring decades of savagery under the Savak, one of the most ruthless police forces ever created in the world under the Shah. They were really reclaiming their democracy. But I'll tell you, If you conduct a poll in the United States of American citizens, 99 out of 100 think that Iran struck the first blow, so that Iran, which is a great and peaceful nation, would you believe Iran has not launched a war of aggression against any other state since 1775, Jeremy? 1775. Really? Yeah, just to put that in perspective. The ratification of the Constitution began in 1987. George Washington was elected our first president in, in, in 1789. So for longer than the United States has existed as a constitutional republic, Iran has not launched a war of aggression against any other state. It did, of course, defend itself against the onslaught from Iraq, which was encouraged by the United States, George H.W. Bush, where both sides lost about a million men, but other than defending itself from that onslaught, Iran hasn't engaged in any large scale. I mean, it's a paragon of virtue. Iran, I think, ought to be admired as the most peace-loving major nation <laughs> in the modern world. But, you know, most Americans think Iran is a, a terrorist state, when in fact it's their own country. It's the United States, and our gallant ally in the Middle yes. East is Israel. Yes. Those are the real terrorist states in the world. Plus London, of course, you know, Muammar Gaddafi, who actually was a great humanitarian vote, tremendously underappreciated because he used the oil wealth of Libya to benefit the Libyan people. National healthcare, public education, he gave give $25,000 grants to newly married couples to help start a family. He was undertaking the great waterworks project that would have turned North Africa into a veritable oasis. Introducing the gold dinar, that would have rapidly become the currency of all of Africa. But the Rothschilds, surprise, surprise, were uh, uh, unhappy about the idea of the gold dinar. The Rothschilds have had a trouble getting a foothold in Islam- Islamic countries because it's contrary to the tenets of the Quran to make money off of money. Usury is not permissible in Islam. So they've had a lot of trouble, you know, doing their thing. I mean, it's been said, and I think there's a lot of truth to this, the greatest evil ever designed by the hand of man is compound interest. When you when you think about how JFK, and this of course was among the reasons he was taken out, wanted to circumvent or or reform the Fed that he'd already instructed the Department of Treasury and put United States notes which, as I mentioned, that had a red-embossed imprint, said United States notes, instead of a green Federal Reserve note on the ground that it was absurd to pay interest to a consortium of private banks for printing the currency of the United States, which could be done for no interest whatsoever by the Department of Treasury. I mean, it's incredible. The, the American national debt, which is this staggering total, is almost all because of interest on interest owed to the Fed. I mean, Jeremy, it's just so insulting, and the American people are so ignorant of these things that are so basic to why there's this staggering national debt, because of compound interest. Gaddafi himself said, if you want to eliminate terrorism in the world, just lob a cruise missile into the city of London, which, as you know, is this one-mile square, independent entity in the middle of the greater city of London, where I have great affection for the city of London. I've been to London seven times, it's probably my favorite nation in the world, and I've visited quite a few. Uh, So Gaddafi had it right. Just to return to the scientific reasoning then, when all the evidence tends to settle down and point in the same direction, we're entitled to accept the best supported hypothesis as true, in the tentative and fallible fashion of science. Tentative in the sense that if we get new evidence or alternative hypotheses, we may have to revise our position, accept hypotheses we previously rejected, reject hypotheses we previously accepted and leave others in suspense, and fallible in the sense that even the best supported hypothesis might eventually turn out to be false. I mean, The classic example being Isaac Newton's theory of space and time, space and time being absolute, same for all regions, all the laws of motion supposed to have no exceptions. Uh, Every event occurred before, during, or after every other event, it was an absolute timeline, which was shown by Einstein in his introduction of the theory of relativity, that this is all relative to what are known as frames of reference and that in relation to different frames of reference, events can occur in different sequences. So, Einstein, uh, uh, Newton was wrong uh, and it stood as 200 years uh, as a paradigm of scientific reasoning and of the certainty to which scientific reasoning could attain, it turned out to be a special limiting case for regions of space-time that are relatively limited in speeds that are relatively finite in relation to the speed of light. I mean, it's absolutely fascinating in the history of science that what has been historically regarded for 200 years as the embodiment of the certainty of scientific knowledge should be shown to be a special limiting case by Einstein, but that's that's the moral we have to draw. The fact is, what I'm telling you about JFK 9-11, Sandy Hook and the like, I bring together the best people to study these events and sort these things out, and I've been remarkably successful. I, uh, the, the, the additional findings about JFK, for example, since I published my my trilogy, Assassination Science, 1998, Murder in Dealey Plaza, in 2000, The Great Sabotage Film Hoax, 2003, have only substantiated and clarified. Where well, Larry Rivera, for example, as I report in JFK: Who, How, and Why, published in 2017. Established how massively they'd edited the uh, home movies as a Bruder film, which has more frames missing than r- remain in the excellent version at 487 frames. They removed 400 after the limo stopped. So much was going on there they had to conceal. And the turn from Houston on to Elm, another 100. So it should have been about 1,000 frames, but they took out 500 and left only 487. Well, Sandy Hook. They've just so massively suppressed the relevant evidence, but I've been fortunate in bringing together the right people to sort things out. So I'll take a deep breath, Jeremy, so you can address any question you want about methodology or my procedure, but it's really applying scientific reasoning to sort out conspiracy theories at which I have proven to be remarkably successful. Well, let's begin with uh, some of the anomalies. I mean, there was all kinds. The the event was supposed to occur in the morning of the uh, 14th of December, 2012. Mm. And it's supposed to have entailed this Adam Lanza shooting his mother with his uh, 22 caliber rifle, then going to Sandy Hook Elementary, shooting 20 kids and six adults before he kills himself. We had all kinds of photographs. There was a photograph sent around the world I'm about to show where you have a string of kids that appear to be led to safety by a police officer. But in fact, while that photograph was taken by the Newtown B photojournalist, a woman, Shannon Hicks, there turns out to be a second photograph she took a few minutes earlier that shows they rearranged the kids to get a better shot. According to the final report from Steven Sidensky III, the, the, the Danbury State's attorney, there were 489 students there that day. If you subtract 20, there should have been 469 who needed to be evacuated. But there are no signs of evacuation, even when we're told exactly where to look. And in fact, there was only one access route into the school, Jeremy, which is Dickinson Drive. And Dickinson Drive was so clogged, you could not have got an emergency vehicle in there or a bus if you wanted to. In other words, everything we've told about Sandy Hook is a fabrication. Now, here's a photograph sent around the world that appears to be a policewoman in the parking lot leading a string of kids to safety. This appeared, for example, on the front page of the New York Times, but also virtually every newspaper in the world. Often it was cropped because notice you have actually a figure standing here on the left side of this uncropped version who's casting a shadow. Now that raises the question, what in the world is going on there? Well, here's the photograph that was taken earlier by Shannon Hicks. And you discover, lo and behold, there was a whole lot of parents there, eight or 10 or 12, hands in their pockets, arm folded, casually looking on. And what's going on? Well, the police woman is rearranging the line. So here you see it, the photograph taken earlier, the head of the line was a little girl in a pink sweater and a short skirt. Well, they rearranged it to replace it with a little boy in a, bl- in a dark sweater and blue jeans. And I agree, it's more photogenic. So here we're juxtaposing, although it will only be in the video version everyone can see, I'll be describing what's going on here. They've replaced a little girl in the pink sweater and the shorts skirt with a little boy in a dark sweater and blue jeans. He's identified as boy number one. There's a boy number two. In the photograph taken earlier, between boy number one and boy number two, you can see parents in the background just casually looking on. And others are not only parents in the foreground here where you're looking at their backs as they're casually looking on, but you got three or more parents in the background also casually looking on, leading me to describe this photograph as lounging at the massacre. Already we have proof. Here you can see the parents in the background, casually looking on, and little boy who would be moved up to the front. For Shannon Hicks herself has actually admitted having taken both of these photographs. We have her email acknowledging that she took both of these photographs. But, Jeremy, I'm telling you, you already have enough here to know this whole thing is a sham because you got the kids being rearranged to get this, this stage photograph that's supposed to be the emergency evacuation that caused everyone in the world to swoon. Oh, how awful. Oh, how awful. Well, if, in fact, that was part of the evacuations if we had 469 kids who were alive that needed to be evacuated, you should have had strings like that all over the parking lot. 469 divided by, what, 15? That's a pretty large number. So it should have looked like this. They should have been all over the place. Well, in fact, the Connecticut State Police claimed that the evacuation did take place, and they specified locations and times during which it was supposed to have occurred. But we actually have dash cam footage for those locations and times, Jeremy, there's nothing going on. Uh, There's no evacuation taking place. Now, how often have we been told that you can't prove a negative? Well, that's just ridiculous. You can prove, for example, there's no elephant in your living room, which is a negative, by going to your living room and looking for signs of the presence of elephant, finding none, you're entitled to infer that's because there's no elephant there. Well, if we're told a specific location and times where the evacuation was taking place, and we go to those locations and times and we find there's nothing there, we're entitled to infer that's because no evacuation was taking place. And I guarantee you 100% no evacuation was taking place, Jeremy, this is all just ridiculous. And just to illustrate how they fake the kids, the one about whom I know the very most is a young man who is known as Noah Posner, who turns out to be a legal fiction, just like his father, Leonard Posner, who actually sued me in order to suppress the distribution of the book by finding a defamation against him, even though I I don't allege that he was responsible and I'm constrained by a permanent injunction from being more specific, uh, just bear in mind that they both appear to be legal fictions that even in my answer to the original complaint, I began answering by saying, assuming the plaintiff is a real person, because as I insisted throughout the entire legal works and to this very day, the person who sued me was not in fact Leonard Posner, it was another party by the name of Ruben Wabner, and where the The photographs that are supposed to be Noah Posner are actually photographs of his real son, Michael Vabner, when his real son, Michael Vabner, was a child. They just created photographs of the real child, Michael Vabner, into this fictional Noah Posner. Well, a research colleague of mine, Kelly Wadd, noticed that Noah... Look, surprisingly, like Michael Vabner, who was actually in the background. He was supposed to be the older half-brother of Noah. She noticed they had the same eyes, eyebrows, mouth, nose, shape, of head, ears. So Larry Rivera, whom I've mentioned already, who not only did brilliant research on the limo stop involving JFK, but did a superposition of facial features to establish the man in the doorway was indeed Lee Oswald, is gifted at doing this. So I sent him a photo of Noah and a photo of Michael Vabner without any background, not telling him it had anything to do with Sandy Hook, not telling him it had anything to do with anyone who was supposed to be a decedent of the event. And I just asked him, are these the same person? And Larry, true to form, sent me back a gif where you can see Noah Posner turning turning into Michael Vabner or, more appropriately, see Michael Vabner be the party known as Noah Posner. So let me take a look. Uh, The thesis was first advanced by Kelly Watt, which was published in Nobody Died at Sandy Hook in the second edition of 2016 as Appendix D. Here's a key photo from the chapter where everyone Kelly shared it with agreed that Noah is Michael Vabner is a child. Look at those two photographs. This is the adorable little uh, Noah Posner, very telegenic. And here you have Michael Vabner. This is a later photograph. He was actually already in college at the time. So Kelly thought they were the same person. We went to work on it. Six of us went to work on it, Jeremy. We discovered they had the same eyes, the same eyebrow, the same nose, the same mouth, the same ears, the same nape shape. soul. And, and, and look at this, Gary. Look at this. Look at this. There's Noah Posner, who's supposed to have died at six years of age, turning into Michael Vabner. Can oh, you
0: believe? I can't take this. <laughs>
1: This is how they did it, Jeremy. It's just absolutely embarrassing once you get the facts together. I mean, it's just absolutely shocking how blatant they were about doing this. And everyone who uh, you know, has the opportunity to view the video version of our show here, our conversation today, I think will be blown away. I mean, look, you got on the one hand, you got the photograph sent around the world. It was staged. They rearranged the kids to get a better shot. Here's one of the alleged decedents, is a legal fiction made up out of photographs of his older stepbrother as a child. You begin to see how we dig deep and we can expose what was really going on. Now I've already mentioned actually, who profits from the false flag of hand, where, get this, the Attorney General, Eric Holder, now this is the guy who told the National Democratic Women's Convention back in 1995, that we have to brainwash the American people to change their attitude toward guns, met with the Connecticut governor, Dan Malloy, on the 27th of November, 2012. This is just like three weeks before the event. The 26 families, as I've already mentioned, spent between 27 and 130 million, that's over one, actually between one and five million for faking to have lost a child, They had to sign nondisclosure agreements, which, as I mentioned, are going to expire on 31 December this year. The school board received a $50 million grant to build a new kindergarten through fourth grade school, and Obama signed 23 executive orders to constrain our access to guns a month and two days later on 16 January 2013. Now, here's an image of the governor at a press conference shortly thereafter, where he actually says that he and the lieutenant governor, who's a gray-haired lady standing beside him, had been spoken to that something like this might happen. And that got me to thinking, something like this? What could they possibly mean? Uh, 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 There are only really two alternatives that someone was gonna go berserk and come into a public school in Connecticut and shoot up a bunch of kids, in which case as governor, he obviously had the obligation to warn the school systems to take extra safety safety precautions to ensure it did not happen, or alternatively, that they were gonna take an abandoned school and conduct a drill and present it as mass murder to promote gun control, which is what they did. And it's a sure sign that the governor didn't have the first report because otherwise he would have been required to take steps to ensure that it didn't happen, which he did not do. And by whom was he warned? Well, it turned out to be that was Eric Holder from 1995. So here we have a a Reuters report: the Obama administration is taking a cautious step toward confronting the politically tricky subject of gun violence with initiative focused on prevention due to be unveiled on Tuesday. The initiative, known as Project Longevity, will send new federal grant money to Connecticut. It's going to be a lot of money that's going to be sent to Connecticut, if I have it right, over 100 mil to Newtown alone, and involve agents, academics, and social workers. U.S. Attorney General Eric Holder in Connecticut, Governor Dan Malloy, are scheduled to discuss the plan in Newtown, Haven, Connecticut, at 11 a.m. on the 27th. So here's Eric Holder. This is from, uh, you know, where he gave the statement that we must brainwash the public to change their attitudes about gun control. Now, in the aftermath, they reported information that already had been available to the school board members and Newtown community in general, that the school was loaded with asbestos and other biohazards and could not have been refurbished. So here they're reprinting old information as though it were new. December 2nd, 2013, widespread hazmat present with a hampered Sandy Hook renovation. And it shows a photograph of how they completely destroyed the school down to dirt clods. I actually visited Newtown with Wookiee Halbig in 2014. We went to the site of where the school had formerly been. We saw the dirt clods up close and personal. And this was because anyone who actually conducted an investigation inside the school would have found it was totally fabricated. There was no blood on the floor. There were no pockmarks in the wall. Indeed, subsequently, I've conducted additional research with Brian Davidson, who's a private investigator, who had done an interview with me about his mastery of Internet research techniques, including with regard to photographs. So I just sent him a photograph uh, in the new town from the, from the parking lot, but I didn't give him any identifying information. I'm gonna talk about that photograph, which he tracked back to the magazine where it appeared, but then before that to its actual origin in the Connecticut State Police photographic files. This is incredibly revealing. But what we're looking at here is on January 16, 2013, Obama signed 23 executive orders To limit gun ownership, the exercise of the Second Amendment by Americans, all motivated by the stage event of Sandy Hook. And moreover, you had a Sandy Hook commission created to come forward with a recommendation that was foreordained to ban guns that can fire more than 10 rounds without reloading. Whether or not this law would stand the test of constitutionality is not for this commission to decide. I guarantee you, it's unconstitutional. And with the present court as constituted, they're taking measures that are inconsistent with the Constitution, that undermine that undermine the uh, the attempts of Democratic administration, beginning with Obama but into Biden, to constrain access to weapons under the Second Amendment. Now. Further proof that this was all fraudulent from the beginning include a photograph of the Sandy Hook parking lot. The cars were, there are two rows of vehicles in the middle but the cars are all parked facing the school which violates the driving instructions. I'll go through the photograph and spell that out. It was a 38 degree Fahrenheit day which is above freezing but still very cold. If you're gonna conduct classes you would add to heat up the building but there's no heat or steam coming from the building. The entry into the school was staged using a shotgun slug rather than an AR-15, so he apparently, in addition to his mini arsenal of two handguns, a Glock and a Sig Sauer and an AR-15, he had a shotgun. A crime scene investigation vehicle was present before the crime was committed. That turns out to be key. So take a look here, Jeremy. This is an aerial photograph of the Sandy Hook parking lot. Now, let me point out, as I mentioned, this was a 38-degree ground temperature day, Fahrenheit. You would have had to heat up the building. We have other photographs of vehicles. You can see the exhaust. It was so cold, but there's no heat or steam rising from the building, no doubt, because the boilers were dysfunctional from non-use since the school was closed by 2008. So it had been four years of non-use. They weren't able to heat up the boilers. But look at this. The Americans for Disability Act requires you have to have handicapped handicap pa- parking in all public facilities. You have to have this blue and white signage. Well, there is none here. There's none of that familiar blue and white sign, no handicap parking. All the entrances and exits have to be wheelchair accessible. Oh, we know. And in longer versions you know, of what I'm giving you here, which is concise and compact, we can see a wooden stairway that no wheelchair could navigate with a steel pipe sticking out where a little kid could pop out his eye if he ran into it by accident. No principal would allow this school to be in the deplorable condition it was had it actually been open and operating, but it could not have even been legally operating because it doesn't have the handicapped parking and the wheelchair accessibility. That brings me to the third telling point here. Notice those two rows of vehicles. are all parked facing the building. Well, Jeremy, as you can see from the driving instructions, this is Dickinson Drive to the lower right. You come in, you follow the arrows, takes you around, and then you'd park facing away facing away from the school for that inside row of cars. But they're all parked facing the building. So how do we account for that? Well, it appears it was simply easier to bring them all in in a single string and put them in two by two by two, all facing the building. After all, who was even gonna notice? It was just, They were just props. Who would even notice? And here you see the blown out glass door in the window. Sorry, uh, James. James,
0: yeah. just before you continue, uh, you say who would have noticed, but we, yeah, so who took this aerial photograph then?
1: Oh, there was a local uh, news, uh, I think it was an ABC uh, doing the news reporting, see. Oh, and right, they, okay. they took it, yeah, probably the Connecticut State Police, who it turns out were running this the whole operation behind the scenes, wouldn't have been happy about this. But then, you know, they thought, well, it's just a photograph. People aren't going to be very analytical about it. Most Americans would look at this and they wouldn't even think twice about it. Here you have a, a photograph of the entry it was made with this glass. It, it, uh, let me show inside and out, Jeremy. I'm going to go back and forth for your benefit and that of those who eventually watch this. Wolfgang Halbig has discovered 14 14 or 16 signed affidavits by Connecticut state troopers that they entered into the elementary school through this blown out glass opening. Do you see that? I mean, this is a later photograph. They're supposed to have already made their entry, but look inside. Uh, There's no indication that even the, 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 the furniture was moved. I mean, that's flimsy furniture, but it's not moved. Look at all the chunks of glass on the ground. Here you got the magazine rack, and there you see where the shotgun slug went into the back of the magazine rack. Now, I guarantee you, that's not big enough for Adam Lanza, who was six feet tall and carrying like 35 pounds of gear, which I don't believe he could possibly have managed, and where he had no background with marksmanship. He couldn't have come in. But imagine the claim of 14 to 16 Connecticut State Troopers claiming they came in that way. Just think how absurd it is. Uh, no one who cares about the uniform, and having served as a Marine Corps officer, I'm well aware of the propriety of maintaining your uniform, they would have run the risk of having their uniform cut by the glass and come in that way. Not only that, but the idea that 14 or 16 would come in that way is absurd on its face. The Four Stooges would have done better. Because Larry would have come in, and then he walked around and opened the door for Joe, Curly, and Moe. I mean, give me a break. This is just an absurd story. But you have 14 to 16 Connecticut state troopers who have signed sworn affidavits. That's how they came into the building. Notice Hmm. nothing is dislodged. Nothing's out of place. Nobody came in that way. Nobody. Now, this is the famous photograph that I shared with Brian Davidson. And what you have here, Jeremy, so those who are listening but not cannot see it, we have the elementary school with a very conspicuous crime scene vehicle parked in the middle of the parking lot. The flag is at full mast. You come down, you can see there's crime scene tape up, but for a crime that has apparently not yet occurred. Look here, Jeremy, you see the string of four windows that's in classroom 10. They're not mm. shot out. After the event, they would be shot out, but here they're not shot out. There's even a figure here that appears to be Wayne Carver who is leaning against a wall with his arms folded. I actually participated in a video deposition of Wayne Carver in relation to my lawsuit and I showed him this photograph. And I said, uh, Mr. Mr. Carver, is that not you there? And he said it was too blurry for him to tell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look at this, Jeremy, now you see in the top left, those are the string of four windows as you see them there in that photograph. On the top right, you see how the they're shot out, especially the second. On the lower left, you see here perps looking at these windows trying to figure out what they're gonna do about them and here's what they actually did. They took drills and they drilled holes in the aluminum frame. This is inside the classroom, Jeremy to simulate gunshots, you notice we have one there in the upper right, Uh, but this is to simulate gunshots, they're all perfectly parallel, they put in pink rods and they're all 90 degrees to the window pane, no one with any familiarity with marksmanship would be deceived, I mean this is an absurd effort to simulate shots that were obviously not real. And here you can see from the outside how the furniture was all pushed up against the wall, all pushed up against the wall. That's because this was an abandoned school. I, I, I go back to this photograph, not only did Brian uh, Davidson track it down, back to the uh, Connecticut State Police files on Sandy Hook where it originated, But he found a host of other photographs, including photographs of the hallway where there's supposed to be two dead teachers and there's no bodies there. Photographs inside classroom 10 where there's supposed to be a stack of dead kids. No dead kids in the room, no blood, no pockmarks on the wall. And guess what? The Connecticut State Police have removed all the metadata, Jeremy. So you cannot tell where and when these photographs were taken so they can't be admissible in evidence as courts of law. But this one, I think, nevertheless would suffice because since you can see the string of windows is undamaged, you know this is either before the event occurred entirely or if it's after the event occurred, before they'd finished fabricating or faking the evidence. In other words, this photograph, may be the single most damning proof we have That this whole thing was run by the connecticut state police your comments my friend
0: i have no idea what to say um i'm just i'm taking it in bit by bit it's it's unbelievable if what you're saying is completely true
1: and i guarantee what i'm saying is completely true yeah, I no idea how many presentations I made as Sandy Hook. How many efforts there have been to defeat, and we go forward and we do more research, and it gets more and more damning. That's why, just as in the case of Donald Trump, they've tried to defeat him politically. They're unable to defeat him politically, so now they're resorting to the courts with this raid on Mar-a-Lago, which is backfiring massively. They have tried to defeat me evidentially. They cannot defeat me evidentially. What I've done with my colleagues in our collaborative research is absolutely authentic. Mm. I'll tell you as an aside, I happen to know there are participants in the drill who like the book because it's true, because it's accurate. I'm telling you, more than one of those who actually participated in the drill like the book. They bear no malice toward me because they see me as someone who's simply seeking to bring the the truth to the public and do not believe the book ought to have been banned. But it was done by the government because the government doesn't want the whole hoax to be exposed. I mean, this might be enough to bring down the government if it were the American people to understand what's happened here. So they have turned to the courts They've gone after Wolfgang Halbig, they've gone after James Tracy, and they've gone after me. And now, of course, they're going after Alex Jones, where Alex Jones made the terrible mistake of being on both sides of the issue. Let me complete more, and I'll come back to Alex Jones and the legal efforts, Jeremy, but you're welcome to interrupt any time you want. I,
0: I won't interrupt because you're telling a story, and I far prefer listening to the story
1: Well, here we go. This is just a review about the uh, forensic analysis of the case now by Danbury, State's attorney. This is supposed to be definitive of what happened. Mm. No fingerprints on the 22 caliber rifle connecting the killer to the crime. They couldn't match any of 150 slugs they claimed they found at the scene to any specific AR-15. Extraordinary efforts were made to avoid releasing the death certificates The book was banned, as you know, less than a month after selling nearly 500 copies. Well, here's the cover of the report of the state's attorney for the judicial district at Danbury on the shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary School in 36 Yogalanda Street, Newtown, Connecticut, on 14 December 2012. The 36 Yogalanda is supposed to be the home of Adam Lanza. Well, in the book, we have 50 photographs from 36 yogalanda and it's obvious this was a rental property. They furnished it to try to make it look as though someone had been living there, but they're unsuccessful. We have a photograph from the Nancy Lonza bedroom where Kelly Wad, who has her own commercial and home cleaning service with her keen eye, spotted a blue moving pad beneath the leg of the bed, which shows that it— you know, in their haste, they'd forgotten to remove, meaning all the furnishings had been recent. Here's what I explain about the official report. This is also in the book. At this point in time, it's relatively trivial to demonstrate that the official report on Sandy Hook, authored by Danbury State's Attorney Stephen Sadinsky, does not establish a causal nexus between the shooter, his victims, and the weapons he's alleged to have used. It suffered from the shortcomings of concluding there were no fingerprints on the 22 caliber rifle that was allegedly used to shoot his mother. And even more surprisingly, out of the large number of shots that were fired from the 5.56 caliber Bushmaster, close to 150, none of the bullet fragments could be matched to the weapon. And that's buried in this footnote number 53. No positive identification could be made to any of the bullet evidence submissions noted in five five six millimeter caliber. The physical condition of the bullet jacket surfaces were severely damaged and corroded. They all lacked individual styrated marks as sufficient agreement for the identification process. Under these circumstances, as I observed. It would have been impossible for the alleged shooter, Adam Lanza, to have been convicted in a properly conducted court of law for his alleged offense because no causal nexus has been established between the purported shooter, his weapons, and the 20 children, seven adults now, including his mother, he's supposed to have killed, which one might have naively supposed was the point of the investigation. But if that was its goal, then its objective was not achieved. If there's ever been such an abysmal failure in the annals of forensic investigation, I'd love to hear about it. This is absurd.
0: Uh, James. Or
1: over. Yeah.
0: Sorry, just to, if you don't mind me interrupting you. Um, Do Adam Lanza and his mother exist?
1: Oh, I think they were fabrications. I'm thinking uh, th- there, there appears to have been a Ryan Lanza. He had a father, Peter. I believe Ryan was officially going to be designated to play the role in the script of Adam Lanza, but he refused to do it. So they made up this fictional figure. If you see photographs that are supposed to be of Adam Lanza, they appear to be of a skull that was watercolored to be kind of haunting. But there was no Adam Lanza. I'm convinced there was no Adam Lanza. There's been a stunning lack of interest in Peter Lanza. There was one interview that appeared in the New Yorker. That just is trifling. I mean, you'd think, you know, this parent of this mass shooter, there'd be great interest. But the interest has been virtually non-existent. And I think that's because they're just treading too close to exposing the hoax.
0: But then, James, um, just by extension to that question, do the families and those kids exist?
1: Well, there, there are parties who are playing these roles and most of them virtually all are using fake names. It, they're synthetic communities. This was put together over a several year period. Many of them were given fo- homes to, to inhabit, but most of the, the, the purported parents aren't even married to one another. A whole lot of them don't even know each other, even though they're all supposed to have been unified by having kids in the same class that were killed at Sandy Hook. They don't associate, you don't have photographs of them together. You don't have any photographs of the kids in the in the classes that are supposed to have graduated from Sandy Hook. Even if you wouldn't expect an elementary school to have your books, you don't even have any class photographs. There aren't even any Teacher of the Year awards. There aren't even banks bake sales for cookies. Unreal. And, and if you and if yeah, and if you go back and look at that the uh, photograph of the parking lot. There, there are no Christmas or Hanukkah decorations. I mean, this is the 14th of December. What do kids do in the in a kindergarten through fourth grade school? They do Christmas stuff. But you go through the whole school and we have lots of photographs. There's none of that. I mean, these four candle drawings are very old. They're not new and they weren't for celebrating Christmas of 2012. So we're in this situation where the situation truly is absurd. The claim has been made that if you're going to make an extraordinary claim like that Sandy Hook was a FEMA drill and nobody actually died, you need extraordinary evidence. Well, we've got extraordinary evidence of the gazelle. Here, for example, get this, that the final report from the Connecticut authorities does not include the names, the ages, or the sex of the alleged victims of the shooting. That is extraordinary. That the clerk of Newtown entered into secret negotiation with the state legislature to avoid releasing their death certificates, that is extraordinary. That Connecticut State's attorney, Steven Sedansky, opposed the release of the 911 calls and had to be denied withholding them by the courts, that is extraordinary. That a special panel of the state legislature recommended state employees who released information about Sandy Hook be subject to an e-felony. That is extraordinary. That those who were involved in the demolition of the school building itself were required to sign lifetime gag orders about anything they saw or did not see. That is extraordinary. What good reason could there possibly be to withhold the names, ages, and sex of the deceased from the final report about this child massacre? The claim was made that it was to spare the feelings of the parents, but think about it. The parents already knew they were dead. This is all so fraudulent. So, this is from the back cover of the book they had to ban. You can see the sign, Everyone Must Check In. Proof that it was a drill was right before our eyes. The sign, Everyone Must Check In. Boxes of bottled water, pizza cart, porta potties, present from scratch. Many wearing name tags on lanyards. Parents bringing children to the scene. What parent is going to bring their child to the scene of a child shooting massacre? Proof it wasn't a massacre was all also already there. No surge of EMTs into the building. No medevac helicopters called. No string of ambulances to the school. No evacuation of the 469 other students. No bodies placed on the triaged tarps. So here's a cover of the book. Nobody died at Sandy Hook. This is for the second edition, which has that red badge expanded and revised 2016 versus the original, which had no badge, but was banned by Amazon and then released by me as a PDF to the public for free. Now, if you want the latest update, I was just invited by Kevin Barrett, a long colleague of mine, to come on his radio show on Friday, Friday. That's just two days ago, Jeremy.
0: Yes, I listened to a small piece of that, but uh, it was it was so recent that I didn't get enough time to listen to the whole thing.
1: Oh, sure, that's okay. That's not a problem. Well, very much to my surprise, Kevin Barrap came out with. I'd already thought it was odd that he was equivocating about uh, Sandy Hook. I could never get him to say that he he recognized that it was a fraud. Uh, he never acknowledged it was a FEMA drill. Uh, presented as mass murder to promote gun control. Here he actually came out, and this appears to be based upon the trial of Alex Jones. Uh, he thinks that I was damaging the truth movement by my stance on Sandy Hook. Now there's a photograph of me, by the way, speaking to the Newtown school board in 2014, where Wolfgang and I were each given three minutes and where I raised the, the question of the school board, and we knew they weren't gonna answer. When were the parents in fo- notified that their children were attending school in a toxic waste dump since it had come up that it was loaded with asbestos and other biohazards? That was supposed to be a reason it couldn't be refurbished, was well, the reason the school was abandoned way back by 2008 already. They, they knew they could, it wasn't habitable. So I was really astonished to learn from Kevin that he actually thought That I had harmed the truth movement by my stance on Sandy Hook. And I I just can't believe it. I mean, he claims he's actually read the book. Well, the whole idea, by the way, of this recent attempt, the legal efforts to take my blog, were in proximity to the trial of Alex Jones. Uh, uh, They initiated this a few months ago, but it's very clear in retrospect, it was in anticipation that by the 28th of July, Alex Jones in his trial case, they were gonna start to trash me, James Tracy, Sophia Smallstorm, Wolfgang Halbig. They were gonna use this as an opportunity to smack down everyone who'd been uh, exposing the hoax of Sandy Hook. So here you see my blog on the 27th of July. I had an article, Alex Jones calls out murder a due process at Sandy Hook. Notice I featured the two photographs that we've been talking about, the one sent around the world, the one earlier, so you can see it was staged. I mean, the question becomes, there's a principle under the law, false in one, false in all. In other words, if you have a, a witness or evidence that is shown to be fought, fabricated or false, you're entitled to discard the evidence or the witness as not relevant, not reliable. False in one, false in all. Well, that's what we have here. So they did this taking of my blog, which I protested was inappropriate. My blog is of no financial value to Leonard Posner, whom I regard as a legal fiction. They do have liens of 1.1 million against me, but in Wisconsin, you can only satisfy a financial lien by a financial reward. The blog has no value to Leonard Posner. He he can't use the name James Fetzer. I'm too well known as a critic of Sandy Hook. He can't use a book which blows it apart. So none of this has any value. And yet, yet the judge ordered that those should be turned over to Leonard Posner. And of the blog, it took place on the 28th. So look what happened. On the 28th, if you went to jamesfetzer.org, you got... Wisconsin circuit court access of the documents involving the motion, where I've just returned from Wednesday being in court, where I was protesting the taking and asking for reconsideration because I have a petition before the United States Supreme Court, and where I was denied on both, but where I got these, what you're looking at are actual exhibits or a stamped by the court that I got in. Indeed, on the 10th of August, I went to the blog and there was nothing there. That was very, very peculiar. Meaning JamesFetzer.org, where I've now created a new blog at JamesHFetzer.org. Yes,
0: I've seen. Oh. I've I've actually been to the, your previous website, and there's a big there's a big legal notice on it.
1: Yeah, that's what we're looking at right here. So on the 10th of August, they actually had nothing there. Then they restored the access to these documents. But get this, Jeremy. They even went to my Amazon.com page where you got a bio sketch of Jim Fetzer. You got photographs of many of his books. Look at Assassination Science, Murder in Deedley Plaza, Great Zapruder Film Hoax, and down below a photograph where I was on with Sean Hannity. I was actually on Hannity and Combs twice. The first was right before Alex Jones had his American Scholars Conference in Los Angeles in June of 2006, Alex Jones invited me to be the keynote speaker all about 9-11, then that photograph in the middle is me in Athens where I and my wife were flown to Athens in December of 2006 to appear on a television show hosted by the leading muckraker in Greece whose reports have brought down corrupt Greek governments in the past. It was gonna be three hours, but it went so well, they extended it to three and a half hours. It was broadcast worldwide by satellite, which I regard as a high watermark of the 9-11 truth. They had fabulous clips from 9-11. And I, as a founder of scholars for 9-11 truth, was in the perfect position to dispatch the sham known as 9-11. Then you had a photograph of me in San Francisco with the Oakland Bay Bridge in the background. Then that's Treasure Island, where actually I had to report for my first duty assignment on Okinawa when I was a, a lieutenant in the Marine Corps, and then would become the fire direction officer of the uh, mortar battery for the 1st Battalion, 12th Marines, 3rd Marine Division, and where I would be anchored out in Kaohsiung Harbor aboard the LPH Iwo when the officer of the deck awakened me at 3.30 in the morning to tell me, JFK had been shot and then awakened me an hour later to find that they'd arrested the guy who had done it, he was a communist, which I thought then was very fast work. Well, look what they did with Amazon.com. They replaced that photograph of me in Athens, Greece, and the photograph of me in San Francisco with a court of appeals decision, where they rejected my appeal of the circuit court decision ruling against me on the grounds that, it was reasonable to believe that Adam Lonson, 26 kids, uh, had, had, had been, you know, 20 children, six adults, had died at Sandy Hook, followed by a paragraph where it said it was unreasonable to believe it was a FEMA drill uh, presented as mass murder to promote gun control, even though I got the FBI Consolidated Crime Report for 2012 showing zero in the intersection of Newtown with. with uh, murders and non-negligent manslaughters, uh, even though I have evidence of all the kinds we've been describing here, and then the order uh, of a permanent injunction where I'm not allowed to reiterate the three sentences over which I was sued. But look, they even got into Amazon.com to change it. That was also on the 28th of July. In other words, they were doing everything they could smear me to make it impossible Impossible for anyone to learn what Jim Fetzer had to say about Sandy Hook. That's why they had to take my blog. Now I have created a new blog at JamesHFetzer.org, and you can ex- access all that information. But look at this, Jeremy. We're looking at the docket of the United States Supreme Court. I just want and to see, down- James.
0: Yeah, I just want to see if I can zoom that in slightly. Hold on one second. Don't. don't no, no. Go, go back to that document. Just hold it right there. No, no, the document.
1: You mean the docket of the Supreme Court? Yes,
0: yes, yes. I just want to yeah. see if I can zoom it in. Hold on. Okay, yes, sure. I can I can zoom it in. There we go. Right. Okay, so what are we looking at?
1: Well, well, well what you have for the entry on July uh, 7th, 2021, distributed for conference on 9-28-2022. Mm. Now... I'm going to walk you through this, Jeremy, there are 12 stages to get before the Supreme Court. I just want to understand how far my case has gone. Starting at the top left, litigants and interest groups. Losing litigants, and you see, I even took it to the Wisconsin Supreme Court, which denied my petition for review. I had 90 days to submit a petition for certiorari, I made the 90 days. That was a 30-day gap during which the respondent, Leonard Posner, could submit a reply, a response. They did not file a response. Why did they not resp- file a response? Because I'm challenging the methodology used in Wisconsin as allowing the judge to exercise their subjective uh, judgment to exclude evidence as though the evidence did not exist and to create a lack of disputed facts when there are Enormous disputes. I mean, in this case, it could not be more egregious Then I would have had an opportunity to file a reply brief, but of course it didn't happen because they didn't file a response. And interest groups had the opportunity to file an amicus brief on my behalf, uh, or taking a stand one way or another. One was filed. Uh, that was talking about how Sandy Hook appears to be one in a whole string of false flag uh, events that are being staged to affect the public's opinion about gun control. That was early on. Then it went to the clerks in the cert pool, where the chief justice drafts the initial discuss list, distributes it to the rest of the chambers. For members of the cert pool, the clerk of the court randomly assigned petitions of participating chambers within the chambers, Petitions are randomly assigned to the clerks, then they have two weeks to submit memos to the chief justice chambers, who then distributes them to all the participating chambers, and within each justice chamber, the clerks review and mark up the memos. These are all comments on the submissions to the court. I've gone through all of that. Then look at the top of the third third bracket here, the discuss lists and conferences. The clerk of the court collects all the documents and distributes them to the justices chambers. The associate justices place cases on the discuss list. Any case that fails to make this list are summarily denied and the lower court ruling stand. I made the cut. Now here's where I am. All of the justices meet in private conference that'll be held on the 28th of, uh, of September in which they vote to either grant or deny certiorari, it requires at least four votes in order for a case to proceed to the merit stage, at which time, and I will learn, Jeremy, on the 3rd of October, they will obtain the whole court record here from Wisconsin, which include all these latest appeals. It'll all go to the court. They'll assign a date for the public hearing. Each side will have 30 minutes to present. I would be able to, in the old days, up until like 1997, when pro se applicants—I'm appealing this on my own behalf without an attorney—they allowed pro se applicants to make their presentation behind be, before the court, but now only lawyers are allowed to do it. So either the court will appoint a lawyer or all, all solicit one. If this is a accepted by the Supreme Court, it's going to be a very big deal. It involves a summary judgment procedure in the whole state of Wisconsin. This is a reason why it doesn't affect just me, but every resident of Wisconsin, that they should have a summary judgment procedure that is equitable. This is grossly biased. It's out of whack with other states. I use Texas as a contrast case so that there are four criteria before the Supreme Court and they decide what cases to take. First, is this a publicly significant case? Because of my background as a Sandy Hook skeptic, it has great public interest. And because I've been denied the right to a jury trial on the ground of a bias summary judgment procedure, it's of great public interest. Is it a legally significant case? Absolutely. This has been ongoing in Wisconsin. uh, Weekly, there are litigants in Wisconsin, defendants who are deprived of their right to a jury trial under the Seventh Amendment because of this anomalous summary judgment procedure. In the third case, does it represent a conflict between states at the highest level? Yes, because in Texas, I would have had a summary judgment procedure where they'd assume all of my claims, there was a FEMA drill, nobody died, Uh, uh, where I even have the FEMA manual, the the FBI confirmed no murders or non-negligent manslaughters in 2012, all that would be taken hypothetically as true. And then the plaintiff bringing the suit would be asked, does he agree? Only if he agreed would it then proceed because there'd be agreement on the facts, no disputed facts. If there are any disputed facts, they have to go to a jury. I was denied my right to a jury trial because a judge in this case was only able to resolve my evidence as unreasonable and set it aside. And Jeremy, that even included the reports of two forensic document experts who sided with me. The judge was able to merely set their reports aside as unhelpful given the summary judgment procedure in Wisconsin, but just to illustrate how anomalous that is. In normal jury trials, the way they determine the authenticity of documents is by consulting with expert documents. Uh, document forensic document experts, I have the reports of two of them on my side. So this is of enormous significance. and the fourth criterion is it going to correct a significant factual or legal error? Yes, because the legal error here was allowing my case not to be sent to a jury on the basis of the subjective finding of the court which I'm appealing, so it's not only gonna affect me, it's gonna affect the state of Wisconsin, and indeed it's gonna have ramifications for the entirety of the American judicial system because I have been assured by a retired professor of law that the major problem with the American judicial system at present is the abuse of summary judgment. So I've teed it up for the Supreme Court to set it right Anyone who likes my case who would be eager in supporting me because I've been subjected to what's technically known as a slap suit, a strategic lawsuit against public participation that does not have a bona fide motive but is to shut me up, to drag me into court, to accumulate massive legal bills. I still have 55,000 or more in legal bills. If you wanna help me set things right, you can visit givesandgo.com slash fundingfetzer, givesandgo.com slash And Jeremy, I'm telling you, I would welcome any support uh, from uh, Americans who want to you know, help me set the record straight. I mean, it's been a fascinating tour through the American judicial system. I've learned a whole lot, and I'm telling you, I now see how these games are played and these lawsuits are being used against me and Alex Jones though he appears to have been accommodating, he folded, I offered to be an expert witness in Alex Jones, I sought to intervene in all three of the lawsuits where we've only been the first of the three and I could have exposed this whole thing as a sham. But I didn't have the opportunity. I was opposed by both sides in all three cases. And when I volunteered to be an expert witness for Alex Jones in this, they showed no interest. Jeremy. Why?
0: Uh, what actually happened there, James?
1: They, they, they're they folding deliberately. I mean, they, I think Alex has been paid off. I think he's not going to have to pay a dime of these massive rulings against him, that he's folded, that he's part of... Uh, you know, a limited hangout is actually designed. They're using this case to go after all of the so called conspiracy theorists who are actually conspiracy realists. Because if you dig in and analyze the evidence, you find the cases I've been exploring and bringing together experts JFK, 9 11, Sandy Hook, Boston bombing, Orlando and Dallas, Charlottesville, Parkland, and even Las Vegas they're all staged events. But if the government is exposed, its credibility is lost, and the American people realize how right was Donald Trump when he called out the fake news media, Jeremy. They're using Alex Jones to run a campaign against conspiracy theorists, and I'm sorry to say he appears to be part of the problem. He has in the past done good work. He's very good at those first two stages of puzzlement and speculation. He's not good at following through, evaluating, yeah, the evidence to determine which hypothesis is best supported or carrying through. That's where my, because I have a background as an academician, because I'm a scholar, I have 24 plus books in traditional academic areas, Jeremy, including the nature of scientific knowledge, scientific reasoning, scientific explanation, but also the theoretical foundation to computer science, artificial intelligence, cognitive science, and also work on evolution and mentality. Uh, But in addition, I have 12 plus books in the area of conspiracy research, four on JFK, two on 9-11, another on Paul Wellstone, and then the books that have been banned by Amazon. I mean, it's fascinating what's going on here. I'm convinced I have a case against Amazon for violating my First Amendment right because they've been acting as an agent of the government in banning my books, otherwise it makes no sense. They got to make fabulous money out of these books because they blow apart the official government accounts of not only Sandy Hook, but the Boston bombing, Orlando and Dallas, Parkland, Charlottesville. I mean, they're all there. Amazon ought to be aggressively promoting them because they'd be bestsellers, one array bestsellers. Instead, they ban them, and that speaks volumes about their integrity and dedication to the first amendment themselves jeremy
0: james this is why i drink
1: <laughs> <laughs> i understand believe you i understand i tell you i went in naively i thought the judicial system would be the right place to get all my evidence <laughs> into the public record you know and establish that nobody died at sandy hook that has not been done in any case in the united states The ones they cite were all settled, including Alex Jones, on procedural grounds. That's why I sought to intervene to point out that they've never determined whether anybody died at Sandy Hook. And they were very clever. I mean, the court, the judge in my case, even complimented the attorneys for Bosner for their very cleverly designed lawsuit that inhibited him from allowing all my evidence in, or alternatively, he let it in only to suppress it by finding it to be unreasonable, which has made benefits by the Court of of Appeals decision in my case, which is all focused in my petition. Anyone can download my petition before the Supreme Court, by the way, by going to the Supreme Court docket for Fetzer v. Posner. All the way through Wisconsin, it's been Posner v. Fetzer, but now the tables are turned. This is now Fetzer v. Posner, and you can download it to your desktop. By going to the Supreme Court and doing a search. Well, Jeremy, it's that kind of experience. To discover how topsy-turvy is America Mm. in terms of law law and order. And I'll tell you, the Obama administration is behind all of this. Barack Obama is going to turn out to be one of the most dreadful President. He doesn't even appear to have been legally certifiable to serve as president of the United States. Based on my research, he actually was born in Kenya. His, 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 his uh, Hawaiian death certificate, uh, birth certificate is totally fraudulent. I had an expert on We spent two hours going through it. It was layer upon layer of Photoshop. There are two death certificates out of Kenya, by the way. One's an obvious forgery, and I think they introduced that. So that if one were to raise a question about the Kenyan birth certificate, they say that's been debunked because there's an ambiguity. There are two of them. One has been debunked, but the other not. It has his little footprint on right on the the birth certificate, and I'm quite convinced that is bona fide. in you Kenya. Also, by, they, yeah, in Kenya. They, sorry, go on. In Kenya, Jeremy. In Kenya, they have a monument to the first Kenyan president of the United States. Not realizing there cannot be a Kenyan president of the United States.
0: You also said to me recently that his wife, his wife is a bit suspicious.
1: <laughs> yeah, she has a package most women do not have. That that'll be a whole, sh- whole other show, a whole other show, my friend. You, you okay. got to understand, Jeremy. That Obama's gay. He had a notorious affair with Rahm Emanuel in Chicago. It was well known in Chicago at the time. Anyone who's elected President Ron Emmanuel along with him to the White House as a chief of staff, a uh, Michelle is not a man who underwent a, a sex change operation. Michelle is a man with breast implants and a huge shaving bill, and I've documented this extensively because I do not like liars, phonies, fakes, and frauds, and if. If they run her for president, if the American people want to vote for a man with breast implants and a huge shaving bill, be my guest. I just want you to know the facts of the matter. Or Joan Rivers already called it out. I you remember. Know,
0: I remember. She was being,
1: and she was being interviewed by reporters saying, now we've got our first black president. Will we ever have a first gay president? She said, well, you know, we already have with Obama. Don't get excited. And Michelle's a tranny, we all know. I remember. It's just you know, I'm telling you the evidence I presented, it. I, I am doing an annual false conspiracies conference. And in 2020, among my presentation, one was on what happened at Sandy Hook. And Kelly Watt also gave a report there that's worth viewing. But in addition, I gave one called Deception Galore about how Hillary Clinton has used body doubles repeatedly, even in her debates with uh, Donald Trump and with Bernie Sanders, it was a body double but how Michelle Obama is actually a man, and I laid out the evidence there. So anyone who wants to follow up, if you can get to my blog at track down False Flags and Conspiracies 2020, you can get the free download of all 24 presentations, and check out Deception Galore, as well as what happened at Sandy Hook, as well as what Kelly Watt has to say, you won't be disappointed. And if you check out my latest blogs about Alex Jones, you'll see I go back and review other cases as well and just lay it all out there, which is why they had to shut down my blog. So let us just know, to be continued, my friend, I'm so glad you're doing what you're doing. I'm so <laughs> glad to be a guest on your show. I'm so glad to have the chance to share the results Mm. of my collaborative research. Remember, none of this just comes from Jim Fetzer. Mm. I'm bringing together groups of experts in every one of these cases. And the more experts you get involved, the less the probability you're gonna make a mistake. I'm telling you, even participants in the Sandy Hook hoax agree the book has got it right.
0: James Fetzer, thank you for joining me in the trenches.
1: Fantastic, Jeremy. I look forward to our next conversation.
0: Don't go anywhere. My name is Germ, and this is why I drink. I mean, sorry, and this is Germ Warfare, <laughs> the battle of ideas. <laughs> if you enjoyed this podcast, please visit supportgerm.com.